You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots, you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Hopefully, everybody had a great weekend. This episode, or this uh, podcast, the Nine Figure Chronicles podcast, is brought to you by Vortex Optics, and we got a kick-ass podcast today, and I'm going to tell you why. I want you to imagine for a moment, you all summer long, all off season, you did your scouting, uh, you ran trail cameras, you prepped, you know, maybe some tree stands, you did all this extra work, put in all this extra time uh, into getting close to a big mature buck, and then comes the time that you're going to take your vacation away from work. And you're going to really dedicate some time to getting out in the timber and actually hunting hard. And then you get the flu. And it's so bad that you actually can't really function. You can't function at all. Uh, And the, the story from that point on is absolutely bananas. So we're going to talk with Josh Edmonds today. And Josh kind of, uh, we BS at the front end. We talk about, you know, what got him into hunting. We talk about when he started his transition from, I guess, regular, quote-unquote, regular hunting into bow hunting, and that step that we all kind of take when we get really serious about uh, bow hunting, and uh, and then the epic story, I guess you could say, of him getting the flu during his rut vacation, his rutcation, and then all the drama that happens after that. So uh, this is a really good podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. It's uh, entertaining, and uh, you might even be able to learn a little something from it as well. So that's what we're doing on today's episode. Uh, This episode is brought to you by Wasp Broadheads. Go to wasparchery.com. And I say this every time, uh, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more uh, with Fred Doherty on the hunting gear podcast uh, in an upcoming episode as soon as I can nail down the other guest that we've uh, that we've done but what we've done at or what they've done at wasp man is they've just created awesome broadheads 
right, with American products or American material, American products made in America, um, minus their new head, the Havilon, which is a still awesome, awesome product. It's uh, it's a merger between Havilon knives and wasp archery so you have a, a knife that's really really sharp and they've used that material and came up with this uh this design uh with a the wasp ferrule and basically the blades but the havilon you know the havilon style blades and it's a badass broadhead um i'm looking forward to maybe shooting it during my uh, archery hunt but or for, for my whitetail hunt but what I'm really jacked about is putting the boss four blade back on my heavy ass arrows and going elk hunting and mule deer hunting this upcoming, uh, you know, in September and October. And I'm jacked about that. And, uh, man, I cannot wait. So if you guys want to go to wasparchery.com, check out all the products. They got mechanicals. They got fixed blades. And uh, you enter the discount code nine fingers at checkout. That's the number nine, followed by the word fingers. And you're going to be able to save 20% off your order. Uh, I strongly recommend taking advantage of that because now you're getting a 20% discount off a badass product. So, uh, man, they're, they're, uh, they're built tough, right? So go check out Wasp. And I think that's it. Make sure you're subscribing to this podcast. I always say all this stuff at the end of the podcast, but make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. Make sure you're following along on Facebook and Instagram, not only for the Nine Finger Chronicles, but for the Sportsman's Nation side of things as well. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your uh, your downloads. And then uh, I think that's it, man. So hopefully you guys enjoy this podcast. Let's get into today's, I guess we'll call it a BS session with Josh Edmonds. All right, we're on the phone now with Josh Edmonds. How you doing, man? I am doing great, man. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Like I told you <laughs> before we started recording, uh, I was a little bit late to our scheduled time because I'm trying to convince a four-year-old who doesn't want to eat his vegetables about all the positive things that happen if you eat your vegetables and he didn't want to hear it and finally bad dad had to step in and you know say things like well you're gonna go to bed early if you don't eat your vegetables or no no treat if you don't you know all that all that jazz reminds me of when i was a kid what kind of what kind of vegetables are we talking here uh it was like a medley right so it had some cauliflower it had some uh green beans and some carrots in it yeah, sounds exactly like the type of stuff that I wouldn't have liked to eat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of things in this life that are hard, but convincing a toddler, four-year-old, whatever, uh, to do something that they don't want to do, especially after their sister is like, oh, these are gross, she eats them, <laughs> but I think psychologically, she does that just so he gets in trouble, because She'll eat the vegetables, so she gets the treat, but he'll copy her and say, ooh, these are gross, and then he's not going to get a treat because he didn't eat his vegetables. So then towards the end, you know, after about 30 additional minutes sitting at the table, and, and we're just like, listen, bud, you're going to eat this or I'll warm them up tomorrow for breakfast for you, and nobody wants to eat carrots and cauliflower for breakfast. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Sounds so, like what my parent, my parents used to do to me. So. Yeah, absolutely. So hard on them now, I guess, so they don't grow up to be soft. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So, 
you got a really cool story, and we're going to get into that uh, uh, when, uh, I guess it's it's cool now, but when it was happening, it probably sucked ass, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but but before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, what do you do for a living? Yeah, so uh, I'm from Virginia, born and raised. Uh, I live in Shenandoah Valley, uh, which if you're not familiar with Virginia, is the kind of the western part of the state. Um, it's mostly uh, mountainous terrain, not a whole lot going on here, but it's known for just being kind of a beautiful area. Um, I work... Uh, in finance now, so I have a pretty good nine to five job, which is what I've never really had until I got this job. And so this has given me the chance to have some consistency that I didn't have before, which has allowed me to plan things out a little bit better, which is really nice. Yeah. So are you a banker? Like you work I am, for a banker? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you deal you deal with dollars all day long. I do. Yep. Any, any cool stories? Like, uh, did your bank ever get robbed or anything crazy like that? No, there's where, where I work at, there's, there's the occasional bank robbery. I haven't been in a location that's been robbed yet in the bigger cities, uh, the Richmond area and DC area. Of course there's robberies there pretty frequently. Um, the only cool thing that I've really come across, I've, Fortunately, we, we do deal with uh, people passing away quite a bit, but I had somebody come in and told me that um, when her mother passed away, they were going through her house, and her mom had kind of tucked away money all over the house in different spots, just a uh, <laughs> different generation that didn't really trust banks. and Yeah. Uh, they, had, they had found all kinds of stuff tucked around all different places that they would have never found had they not stumbled across a loose floorboard. <laughs> oh, so there was like they there was a floorboard just full of cash. Yeah, there was like a squeaky floor. They didn't remember it being that way for any specific reason, and they just kind of looked at it and realized that it was kind of a false floor, and then that led to the initial discovery, and then they started finding stuff a little bit everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Um, I know my grandpa, he had a big box of cash in the freezer of his refrigerator, and I don't mean, I mean like maybe a, a couple thousand dollars for, I, I'm guessing, emergency money. But how much money was underneath of this floorboard? Oh, gosh, I don't remember how much it ended up being. It was it was thousands of dollars. Yeah. I know that. Man, that's nuts. Yeah, a completely different generation. And today, it's crazy because today was like one of the first days that I handled cash in a long time just because I wanted to go get some change to go wash my, uh, wash my truck. I never hardly ever have cash on me anymore these days. Yeah. It's funny. I, I work at a bank, but you'll hardly ever find me with cash. Most, most people are surprised by that, but yeah. <laughs> I just don't have it. That's right. That's right. So let's see here. I'm I'm trying to think if I want to go in deep on this or just get, you know, or just get right to the story. But what I think I'm going to do is just kind of start with how old were you and what year was it that you picked up a bow for the first time? Um, I had a bow when I was real little. My dad and I and my older brother used to shoot in the backyard all the time. So I was probably... I don't know, six or seven when I shot my first bow, but it wasn't anything, you know, that would actually do any damage. You know, it was yeah. arcing in arrows at 
15 yards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was exposed to it pretty young, but I didn't get a real hunting bow until I was probably 17, I would say. Gotcha. So d- did you shoot archery a lot between, you know, that first bow that you ever got until and up until you were 17? Or was there like big hiatuses there where you, you, know, you just kind of gave it up? Yeah, there was a really big hiatus. I actually had a, a pretty significant shoulder injury when I was 13 or 14, I think. And um, that kind of made it impossible for me to be able to pull back a bow. And so for a long time, I didn't I didn't shoot because I just couldn't hold it back and I was getting target panic really bad. Um, and it wasn't until I had shoulder surgery when I was in college that it started to strengthen up again where I, I felt confident enough to pick it back up and start shooting some more. Gotcha. Gotcha. So as far as hunting was concerned, not necessarily bow hunting, but were you in a, a hunting family? Did you guys hunt, you know, from the time you were a kid up until now? Yeah, I did grow up. My dad, my dad always hunted. Um, and so I was exposed to it pretty young. First few times I went, probably didn't go as he had planned because I got cold and frustrated and he hadn't quite figured out how to keep me warm and it didn't, uh, <laughs> didn't go real well. Um, but yeah, we grew up hunting mostly private land, um, some farms not too far from where my parents live, but um, it wasn't long after I started hunting that we actually lost permission to hunt most of those places. And that really changed how we hunted through most of my childhood. Right. Right. So let me ask you this. Um, you lost that piece of property and sometimes when that happens, people, you know, sometimes people just give up. Sometimes people uh, go looking for new places. Sometimes people hop on public. What did your family do when you lost that piece of ground? Yeah, we did. Um, my granddad owns a very small piece of land up in the mountains. It's, it's truth be told, it's probably only about seven acres or so. So it's real, real small. Um, we hunted that we hunted, public land a little bit but just because of my dad my dad's rotating schedule where he's working 12-hour rotating shifts and i was in god only knows how many different sports teams and things right um it was pretty hard to i think do the scouting that my dad would have liked to do and so we were kind of restricted in that regard right okay so uh what did you guys do like rifle hunt deer or did you do a little bit of everything small game turkey yeah, we, we do a little bit of everything. Um, we, I feel like we squirrel hunted a little bit more when I was younger, and that, that may have been more so because it was kind of a fun thing for my dad to take us at when we were kids. Um, do turkey hunt. My dad wasn't a huge turkey hunter, but he's gotten into it more than I have. Um, but we've always had you know muzzleloaders and rifles. And here in Virginia, the, the rut pretty much coincides with rifle season, and so the woods are just absolutely packed during rifle season, which makes things interesting. Right. Right. So as far as the, uh, the area that you live in, um, is there bigger cities around you? Is it, uh, is it rural, you know, describe, describe the, like you, because when, when someone says packed to me, you know, I live in Iowa and I've never hunted, um, in a scenario where, where I've shared the timber with a guy or two, but, you know, I've never had one million people like Pennsylvania or Michigan hit the woods on opening day of rifle season every year type of numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
It's so it's fairly rural. Um, it's an area. It's a it's a college town that I live outside of. James Madison University's here, um, and so with that, that brings a little bit more growth than what we would probably see regularly. Um, it's not a big city by any means. Um, I think the city of Harrisonburg might have, oh gosh, you know, 150,000 people in it. Right. Um, a lot of that, I think, is students. But when you go out, like to give you an example, during rifle season, if you pull on a piece of public, so the opening weekend of uh, rifle season, there might not be a spot that you can park because there's so many people there. Oh, wow. That's absolutely crazy. Just, you know, imagine pulling up to your favorite spot. For all the guys who don't know what he's talking about, imagine pulling up to your favorite hunting spot where you're getting ready to park, and there's like 15 cars already there. I can't imagine how frustrated I would be if that happened to me. I get frustrated when I see another hunter or see a couple other trucks on the same farm as me. Uh, I, I know that I'm going to be hunting in a different spot, but man, that would be so frustrating knowing that you have to fight that every single year. Did that, did that get frustrating for a while? And then did that ultimately lead to you getting back into bow hunting? Yeah, it does. It does get frustrating. Um, I was exposed to it pretty early on up on my granddad's property. It's fairly close to a uh, national forest. And so we would have people trespass quite a bit. Right. Um, and then when we started venturing out onto public land, when you pull up and you, you start running into people and you're passing people on the trails and everything, it, it did change the way that I wanted to hunt. And so I, I was largely in, influenced to start going to places that nobody else wanted to go just to get away from people and, and not have that kind of pressure. Right. Right. So let's get into when you picked up a bow uh, to actually start bow hunting for the first time. What year was that? Um, I was, when I was getting serious about it again, it was probably not until after I graduated college. So it would have been, uh, 2014, 2015-ish. Okay. 2014, 2015, you pick up a bow, uh, not necessarily for the first time. You had an idea of kind of how it worked, but what was that learning curve like right away when you picked that bow up again for the first time for the second time. Really. Oh, it was, <laughs> I had to learn pretty quick because, um, the few, the few private pieces of land that we had were very small. Um, and we grew up with mostly ladder stands and fixed locations. And so you went to a specific spot and those spots weren't necessarily created for specific bow hunting purposes. And so if you're actually looking to have success, you know, you've got to be willing to adapt and learn on your feet a little bit more than probably what I had done as a kid. And so I started trying to pick up as many new tactics and information as I could to put the odds more so in my favor. Right. Okay. So then let's, uh, you, did you start on public ground right away or did you have some other pieces of private that you uh, had access to when you when you got back into it? It was pretty much just on my granddad's very, very small piece of land. Um, and success was not there. I mean, it was it was non-existent because of that and the low numbers of deer that 
we typically see up there. Right. Um, that's when I started to reach out and start exploring new places. And then when I graduated, I moved to a new area too, which uh, I think was a really good thing because it forced me to go out and explore some new areas that I'd never been to before as well. Okay. So a couple years of bow hunting, right? You know, the learning curve was probably pretty steep. You got out there. What were some of the big things, like something that you can remember or share with us that was just like, oh my God, this sucks, but it's awesome at the same time type of thing? I think I think the, the oh my God thing is just going weeks on end without even seeing a deer. Yeah. <laughs> so in the moment, you're like, hunting hunting's the worst thing ever, you know, I'm out here to try to get something done and put some meat in the freezer and not seeing any deer really kind of weighs on your spirit. But at the same time, um, I started to look at it and like, all right, if I'm not seeing deer, what, what am I doing wrong or what can I do differently? And so I started to try to analyze those little moments and see, you know, how I could change that to actually make it a positive thing. Right. Right. So was there a moment that you said, all right, man, enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of not seeing any deer. I got to change the way I got to change something. Yeah. I remember, um, I had, I have a bunch of friends that hunt and it's, uh, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't jealous of them having success. And so just after a couple of years of seeing guys getting it done, I was like, you know what? I'm not, (laughs) I'm not sitting on the sidelines anymore. I want, I want a part of that. And so I told my wife that I was going to get real serious and, you know, really start putting some boots on the ground and getting some, some miles and doing some scouting. So did that happen automatically? I mean, did that, did that happen right away when you made that decision to be more involved, to dig in deeper to scouting? Did, did you follow through with that or did it take you a couple, Hey man, I need to get my ass in gear. Season's coming up fast. No, I did it right away. Um, it probably annoyed my wife because as soon as the season ended, um, most people kind of dial it down for a little bit. But I was like, you know what? I'm going back out. And I was, I was hitting it in the snow. I was looking for tracks. I was looking for um, trails. And I pretty much scouted all through, you know, the winter and the spring and then summer as well. My wife was kind of fed up with it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that, man. Um, so then what happened uh, did, what happened? What did your scouting tell you? Uh, were, were you in the right spots or did you need to go do something different as far as where you needed to set up for the actual hunting season? Yeah. So I knew, um, when I started venturing out on public land a little bit more, I knew I was in the right general area. Um, but just fine tuning things a little bit more to, to get things in bow range was a big thing. Um, and also getting away from people. And so I was really um, starting to target the thickest, nastiest cover that I could find so I could get away from people. Um, and what I was finding in my scouting was when I was finding those areas, I was finding less signs of human activity, less trash on the ground, less boot tracks. Um, but then I was also starting to pick up the all-important deer sign that I was looking for. Right. Okay. So... What did uh, what did that sign tell you? Like as far as details were concerned, what were the deer? What, did you understand like why the deer were leaving sign in that specific area? Yeah, that was something that I I was trying to learn 
more about. Uh, my dad was pretty good about teaching me, you know, deer trails and things like that. But getting into knowing bedding areas versus feeding areas and bed to feed patterns was something that I was trying to learn as much as I could. So initially, um, I didn't know all that much. I felt like uh, I was definitely knowledgeable about what I was looking at, but being able to actually break it down and say, all right, this, this is what I'm looking at. This is why the deer are here was something that um, I was really trying to get better at knowing, okay, the deer are here, but why, what's bringing them here? And then figuring that out um, increased the success that I was having. Gotcha. So did you continue that scouting all through the winter, spring and summer? I did. Yeah. Pretty much every, every weekend I had off or every day that I had off during the week, I was going out looking for pieces of land that I could hunt, looking for, you know, different areas that I might be able to hunt the coming, coming fall. Yeah. So did that, uh, did, did you feel confident like with your scouting towards the end of the summer leading into the archery season, did you feel confident that you had located some good spots uh, to, you know, start with at least, uh, for the, for the upcoming season? Yeah, I was fortunate. I had, um, a friend of mine that was familiar with a, a piece of ground that I hadn't been to before. And he said, Hey, I'll take you back here and, and just show you a couple things. And so we went back there and, um, through that, I was able to do some, some branching out in that general area. Um, and I did find what I felt like was four, four spots that I could target depending on different uh, time of the year and weather conditions. And I told my dad, um, I don't know if he remembers or not, but I said, dad, I'm going to kill a shooter this year. This is the year it's going to happen. I told my wife and uh, I don't know if she believed me or not, but I was making it known that it was going to happen. I had a really good feeling about it. Yeah. All right. So you had a good feeling going into the season. Um, and what year was this? where you've done all this first year, ton of scouting. What season was it? So we have a, a reference point here. Uh, this would have been 2017. Okay. So 2017, 2016 uh, is over. You make the decision to really start scouting. You scout all winter. You scout the spring and summer of 2017. You're feeling confident going in. What happened uh, as far as the first couple hunts, the, like the first, like the month of October or whenever, whenever your season starts, what was the, what was the tone going into it after you've had a couple hunts under your belt? Well, I was super, super pumped for opening weekend. You know, when you go a couple months without having anything to hunt, you get a little, little feverish, I guess, get a little cabin fever. So opening weekend, I had a spot picked out and, uh, pulled up. (laughs) <laughs> to the spot it's actually pretty hard to get to and when i pulled up i was like the last vehicle that could fit in the spot it was like an hour and a half before daylight and the parking lot was already full so my heart just kind of sank because i had picked out this spot because there wasn't a whole lot of sign that there was people there uh then i pull up and all of these people are just there seemingly out of nowhere and that was kind of a punch in the gut okay so did you still go out and kind of make your way to your to the spots that you had scouted? Yeah, I decided I would go ahead. Um, I had I had hung a stand a couple of weeks earlier, and I decided I'd go ahead and stick 
stick to the original plan. Um, if nothing else, I would take this as a learning experience that, Hey, you know, I had found what I thought was a good spot, but it turns out there were some people there. And so I climbed up in the stand and it was getting to be just about shooting light. And I heard something walking towards me and, uh, I'll be darned if I turn around and I didn't see somebody's flashlight. <laughs> they were walking, walking right up to the base of my stand. And, um, I'm always very cautious about revealing my location because I'm in an area where if somebody thinks that you're in a spot because it's a good spot, they know that you're there. Um, it'll likely be hunted after you leave. So I waited to see what he would do. And then he kept on coming. So I hit him with my flashlight to let him know I was there. And he did turn around and he was very nice and went a different direction. And uh, it was about an hour later, a, a group of does came out and I did actually whack one, which actually set my confidence through the roof. I was the only person that day out of anybody that was parked there that shot a deer. And so that just kind of affirmed my suspicions that my, my scouting was actually paying off. That's awesome. Yeah. There's something about, uh, you know, doing that scouting and walking into a new area. Um, cause there's always that self doubt, right. Uh, of you do the scouting, you're doing the work and then it's actually time to hunt. You get in there and you really, you really don't know if the deer are going to show up or not. Um, and when it all kind of happened, uh, what was your reaction like when you, you know, when you drilled that doe? Well, it was actually, um, the first deer that I'd successfully taken with a bow. And so I couldn't be happier. You know, it, awesome. I'd found some, some heavy trails and it came right down the trail. Like I thought it would. And, uh, I stopped it right at 20 yards and hit it with a hard shot. I mean, she didn't go 20 yards and I could hear her pile up in the thicket that I was hunting next to. And so I was just completely ecstatic to have something actually work. Cause when you hunt, you know, if you, if you hunt more than one season, you get a pretty good idea that if you make a plan, it's, it's usually not going to come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear that, man. So, um, man, you were hunting in, in a pretty popular spot, so to speak. You, you drilled your doe. Um, so what, what, what was next on the agenda? I mean, you got a, a doe under your belt. Did you want to go out and get some more tags and shoot some more does? Or did you say to yourself, all right, now let's try to find a, a buck to shoot? Well, so in, in Virginia, um, on public land, you can't kill a doe unless it's during bow season. So I was kind of with the mentality that, you know, I've, I've gotten that monkey off my back. Um, so if, if more does come out, great. Um, but I, I really started to turn my focus on trying to get a, a buck. Cause that, that was my goal all along was to actually finally, um, take a shooter, shooter buck, what I considered a mature buck. Yeah. Okay. So what did you do? What did you do to locate this buck? Well, so I put up some trail cameras, um, and I've, I've never been a huge trail camera person just because of how I grew up. It wasn't something that we had a lot of time to go out and check. Um, but the spot where I killed that doe on opening day, I put a trail camera and I intentionally put a camera that doesn't take nighttime pictures. It takes them. Um, but because I've had the camera for a while, they don't turn out at all. It's just dark. Sometimes you'll get lucky and catch mice, but I didn't want to get stuck in that mentality of getting a nighttime picture of a shooter buck and then chasing something that, you know, just probably wouldn't happen. So, um, I put up a couple cameras other places. And so I had actually started to see patternable bucks. Um, 
And so I had taken some time off um, about the middle of October because uh, my thinking was that was when there would be the least amount of people out in the woods, and that would be my best chance to be able to shoot a deer. That's still kind of on some sort of a pattern. Right. Uh, and that's when I did. All right. So how long did it take you to have, um, you know, some encounters? Well, so um, because of my work schedule, I was only able to hunt maybe one or two times uh, before I had this uh, PTO scheduled. Right. And so I was hunting. I don't like to hunt the same spot very frequently for obvious reasons. So I was kind of bouncing around. And every single spot that I had scouted, I was seeing deer. Uh, it was mostly does and younger bucks, um, but I was seeing deer consistently on public land. And so my confidence just kept going up that, you know, I had been doing things the right way. and It might actually come together after all. Cool. So what time of year was this? Did, was this into November then when you started like getting tied on a deer and feeling confident that, you know, it was going to happen with a bow? No, actually this was still October. Okay. Um, it was the second, second or third week of October where I was still, that's when I had taken my time off and I was going to dedicate just a week straight to uh, being out all day long and, and trying to get it done. Right. So walk us through that week then. Yeah. So I take, taking this week off. Um, I was pretty much going to be off. Um, I don't work Sundays of course. So I was going to be off, uh, basically Sunday to Sunday and I don't have all this time to be able to get it done. And, uh, first day I wake up and I was just sick as a dog. I mean, worst sickness I've had in a long time. I couldn't eat anything, couldn't drink anything. It was, uh, I couldn't keep anything down. And what, uh, and what was day was that? Was that right off the bat on that week? Yeah, that was the first day that I was going to be going out hunting on this BTO <laughs> that I'd taken. <laughs> oh, man. It sucks, man. I've been there. I've sat in a tree stand with a flu before, and I don't know. It, it, I don't know. It it might be one of the worst things ever, especially if it's cold outside, right? So you're you're freezing because you have the flu, and then you're freezing, and it's almost like you're shaking, and you just feel horrible. But you know that you know it's the rut, so you have to be in the woods if you want to get something done. Um, so, did the thought ever cross your mind, like, hey man, maybe I just need to take a couple days and get get this thing beat or were you gun ho from the start and like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go in the woods and I'm going to hunt with the flu. Well, I, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a big shot and, and go out into the woods, but, um, I, <laughs> I, I was running to the bathroom every, every 15 minutes or so. It was, it was awful. And so it didn't take long that first morning before I realized that, Hey, I'm gonna have to lay low for a few days and try to try to get better before I go out and try to climb up in a stand. Right. So you started hunting that weekend. What was like? How many days did you actually have to put a, a pause on the hunt before you could actually get back out and and do that and get out in the tree stand? So I I actually didn't get to hunt that whole week until 
uh, the last day. I was what? sick the you whole were week. Sick yeah. for like six days? Yeah, it was the most miserable thing ever. I don't think my wife has ever felt so bad for me because she knew how much I was looking forward to, to going out. She knew, of course, because I was driving her crazy going out and doing all the scouting, you know, how much it meant to me. And then to, to see me hugging the toilet and, you know, just I had a really high fever as well. <laughs> oh I, I was just Lord. in a bad place. That's crazy. So, all right. So when you finally do go out on the, it's the last, the last day, what a Sunday or a Saturday? Yeah, I think it was a Saturday. I can't remember what day it was. But it, was it was the last day that I had off um, before I would have to go back to work. Okay. So, so then you're, you're starting work on Monday, right? Yes. Okay. So you start work on Monday. It's a Saturday. Uh, you finally get back out in the woods. Are you, are you feeling a hundred percent at this point or are you still feeling sick, but good enough to get out there and start hunting? No, I had, I had plans on going out in the morning. I knew it was the last day. Uh, and I would have felt really bad if I didn't get to hunt. So I'm planning on getting up. And when my alarm went off that morning, I just, I still wasn't feeling it. And I, yeah, I just didn't go out in the morning. Okay. So, so I kind of laid around uh, in the afternoon. I was really kind of trying to find reasons not to go. If you ever get inside your head during hunting season, sometimes you can try to talk yourself out of it for one reason or another. And so I was sitting there thinking about all the reasons why I shouldn't do it. Um, but at the end of the day, I knew, I knew that I should get out there. And so I forced myself to go out in the afternoon. Right. Okay. So you, you force yourself to go out. What were the conditions like that day? Uh, so there was a front that was coming in, but other than that, it was a, it was a pretty mild day. Um, it wasn't terribly cold, which, um, I was actually kind of grateful for because it <laughs> gave me the opportunity to be fairly comfortable yeah. um, with light light layers. And so it was probably mid-50s, um, but I had a perfect wind um, for the one stand location that I wanted to hunt. And um, I didn't know if it was actually going to rain or anything while I was in the stand, but I just figured I'd go out and sit as long as I could. Okay. All right. So going into that hunt you still weren't feeling very good um were you still throwing up at this point i hadn't thrown up since the day before and that's what really uh made me feel like i could handle it in the stand but i was afraid that if i ate anything that it might upset my stomach again so i I still hadn't eaten anything for how many days uh, I hadn't eaten solid food in two or three days. Jeez. <laughs> See, you were running on E. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I think I had lost, I don't know, six or seven pounds over the course of a few days. Just oh my Lord. throwing everything up. All right. So, so you finally make it out. Anything happened that night? So <laughs> on the way to the stand, actually, uh, I talked myself out of going to the stand that I wanted to hunt. Um, because I was afraid of the way that I hung the stand and how weak I was that I wouldn't be able to get into the stand. And so I actually went to a different spot, uh, got out of my, my vehicle and I started putting on my safety harness and then kind of thought to myself about if I was actually making a good decision or not. And, um, I got back in my vehicle and drove to the spot that I wanted to hunt in the first place and, uh, climbed up in the stand and, 
uh, it was actually that that evening um, that a buck came walking down the trail that I had set up on. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I don't know why I'm thinking this right now, but did you even have enough energy to pick your bow up and draw it back? You know, I was worried about that. Um, I didn't practice at all before I left, um, mostly because of time. By the time I uh, got off the couch and got in clothes and everything, I was afraid that I didn't have a whole lot of hunting time left, so I wanted to get out as soon as I can. So I, I didn't actually know if I'd be able to pull back or not. But you you, you made the right choice. You get to your tree stand. Uh, and is this a run? Like, is this a run and gun? Like, you're setting your tree stand up, or was it already there in the woods? Uh, this one was pre-hung. Um, it was. It was actually the same tree stand that I killed that uh, doe out of opening morning. Okay. Um, I had I hadn't hunted it since then, um, but I'd had pictures of bucks uh, during daylight, and I had a pretty good idea of what time they were coming in. And so, despite I made it intentionally difficult to get into because it's on public land, and in case anybody had found it, I didn't want them to uh, be able to hunt it very easily. So, unfortunately, that also made it pretty challenging for me to get into myself after being sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so, <laughs> so you're at, at least you're in a pre-hung stand. You get up. How much time goes by until this buck? You see this buck? Uh, I was in a stand for probably a couple hours. I usually try to go out for the afternoon hunts um, a little bit earlier than I think a lot of people do. And that's because I, I have seen a good, good amount of deer movement in the early afternoon. So I was in the stand probably around two, two thirty. And what, um, what day was this? What day of the month? This was, I want to say October 17th or October 18th. Oh, wow. So this is right in the middle of the what some would perceive as the lull. The lull. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you get out there, you're set up for a couple hours. It's October seventeenth. You see a buck. Um, walk us through what happens from there. Yes, I was. Um, I was standing up. Sometimes I end up standing more than I sit uh, on sets, but. I just kind of caught some movement out of the corner of my eye and I looked um, and all I kind of saw was the front front half of him that was walking towards me. Uh, and he was coming from almost behind me uh, and I was expecting him to come out of the thicket in front of me. But um, I think he had changed bedding patterns a little bit because of uh, food availability because where I was actually hunting, there wasn't any direct food. Um, so I could see, see his antlers. And as soon as I saw, you know, what he was carrying on his head, I knew he was a shooter and I grabbed my bow and tried to get ready. Okay. So you grab your bow. He comes by, walk us through, uh, you know, the shot and, and what went down. Yeah. So he, uh, I knew the, the trail comes right out in front of me and there's, there's a shooting lane right at about 18 yards. And so I knew that eventually he would get to that spot. Um, and I was just waiting him out. And so fortunately, I guess, uh, in my preseason preparations, I had, I've been terrified of, you know, buck fever that I was confident that I would probably get if it actually happened. And so to try to combat that in my shooting drills and I was doing in my yard, I would do 
uh, jump rope for a few minutes to get my heart rate pumping, and then I'd go shoot my bow. And I was hoping that that would get me used to shooting with an elevated heart rate. And so I was actually relatively calm given the situation. I guess it might have also been attributed to how weak I was. Yeah. Um, but he, he really took his time. Um, he would take a couple steps, and then he would look up. Uh, and at one point he stopped and he looked right up at me. I wasn't extremely high and I thought that he'd had me pinned for sure, but, um, he put his head down and kind of kept on walking. And so as, as he got towards that shooting lane, I, I drew back and, uh, right as he was getting ready to step out into the shooting lane, uh, he quartered to me and put his head down and didn't give me a shot at all. And so then I was just kind of left there holding back, um, I was hoping that it wouldn't be that long. It ended up, I don't know how long it actually was. It felt like forever. Yeah. Um, probably a minute or a minute and a half he stood like that. And then finally when he turned to give me a shot, um, I let it fly. And I don't know if it was because I was so weak or if he actually ducked the string, probably more so because I was weak. But I did hit him a little bit high. Um, but looking back on it, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because – uh, I dropped him right where he stood um, because if I would have hit him, he would have ran straight into some of the thickest, nastiest cover that there is. And uh, the front was moving in, and it actually did bring in a storm shortly after I shot him. Wow. And I, might, I probably would have lost the blood trail if I hadn't dropped him right where he stood. Yeah. You know, obviously a spinal shot isn't the best type of, you know, you don't, you don't really plan to spine a deer, but it's great when it happens because he drops like a ton of bricks. And depending on how, you know, where the shot on the spine is, you can get another really quick second shot and then they expire really fast. Right. So I, you know, I shot, what was it? Not last year, not the year before it was like 2016. I spined my buck and he went straight down like at, you know, 15 yards. And, uh, the shitty part was that whole thing. I had to pick him up over two fences to get him, <laughs> you know, to where I could drag him. Uh, I kind of shot him at a, a T intersection or uh, intersection of two fences. So I, we had to pick him up over the fence and man, that sucked. But anyway, he drops that like a terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He drops like a ton of bricks. He's right in front of you. Um, and so, knowing that you're already weak coming off this this uh week full of sickness you know sickness did you feel that you were going to be able to get him out of there by yourself or did you try to call some buddies or a dad or somebody to try to help you yeah so there was there's only one person uh in the world that actually knew where I was at I had taken my wife back there um but She's, she's the type of person she has to go someplace a bunch of times herself before she'll actually remember how to get there. Right. Um, so the first person I wanted to call was my old man, um, just to tell him what had happened because um, I knew that he would be pretty excited about it. And so I, I called him where I was at. There really isn't any cell reception, but I was able to get a signal out in the tree stand. And so I called him. Unfortunately, he had already left for work. And where he works at, you're not allowed to have a phone on you. And so... Um, because of the reception, I, I wasn't able to leave him a message or anything to tell him, unfortunately. So I hung up and I, I called the, a friend of mine that actually knew where I was at. 
And I said, hey, man, I just shot shot a big buck. And he was like, you're kidding. Get out of here. He was like, no, I, I shot him. He said, did you find him yet? I'm like, I don't have to. He's, he's laying right in front of me. I can see. He said, oh, that's awesome. I'll start getting the rope ready because um, when I got it out of the woods, he wanted me to bring it over so we could skin it out together. So I said, all right, man, I'll start start dragging it out to the vehicle. And so I, I climbed down and, and went over to him. And um, I was actually going to try to drag him away from my stand so that way if I gutted him out, um, nobody would be able to follow, you know, any birds to try to get back to where I killed him at. But um, I, I didn't move him 10 feet <laughs> before I realized that wasn't going to happen. Did you gut him at the spot or did you try to drag him with the guts in? I, I tried to drag him with the guts in to try to conceal my spot a little bit, but uh, I, I didn't make it far at all. And so I said, you know, the heck with it. I'm going to gut him right here. And so I went ahead and gutted him right there. And um, I, I wish that after that, I could say that it was an easy drag. And I didn't have any problems, but I was so weak. <laughs> I had no business dragging that deer. <laughs> right. All right. So how long, just like walk us through, this drag because this is the story of this buck i feel right here is from when you after you got him and you started dragging him out of the woods like how long did it take talk to us about what happened so i shot him about an hour before the end of shooting light so mid-october probably looking at i don't know six o'clock ish in the thick woods i would have to guess um so by the time i got done cutting and everything i would say it's probably getting close to dark uh, i could still see pretty well but i knew darkness was coming real quick um it's about a mile from where i had parked um so i started dragging him out and where i was at there's a lot of down trees and broken tree limbs that i had to go over or around uh, and so i took what i thought was a shortcut uh, but kind of in my my weak delirium ended up taking me up a really steep bank um wasn't terribly long but being weak by the time i got up to the top of this bank where it would be a a fairly easy drag out to the rest the rest of the way i I was already whipped um and as soon as i kind of pulled him up over the edge of this bank um i heard some thunder and it just started pouring down rain oh my god (laughs) this is the worst case scenario man this sucks (laughs) Like, I'm feeling this right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like, all of the joy that I had from shooting the buck and, you know, getting it done immediately went away when I realized what I was up against. So I I pulled out my phone and I tried to call my buddy just to see if he'd come out. And uh, now that I was out of the tree stand, I didn't have any reception. So uh, I was kind of on my own side, debated on what I wanted to do. I could have gone to the vehicle, driven out and then come back, but I did have pictures of coyotes in the area, uh, and I was really afraid that if I came back that they would have gotten to the deer, and so I just decided to to try to man up <laughs> and get it to the vehicle. Um, so I, I decided I would take my bow up like 100 yards or so and then drag the deer up to the bow and then just kind of repeat that process just as a way to kind of keep my mind focused on the task at hand and I'm not a real big guy anyways. I only weigh 150 pounds. And so it, it doesn't take a huge deer to 
pretty much match what I weigh anyways. And then when it's dead weight, oh my gosh, dragging that thing was, was absolutely awful. So I made it, uh, what I thought was about halfway. Um, turns out I was nowhere close to halfway. Um, and I just, I felt like I didn't have any energy left. And so I kind of stood up and when I stood up, um, I blacked out, fell on the ground, uh, and just started throwing up again. Oh my God. <laughs> like, I'm sorry for laughing, but this is crazy. Yeah, it was, it was probably the most unfortunate time that I've ever had. And I was just in a, a real bad place. So I, so I was throwing up. It's pouring down rain. I'm just getting drenched. Um, and I keep pulling out my phone, just hoping that I'm going to be able to, to call somebody. And, you know, the phone, I can't get a signal out. And at this point, I feel like I'm too weak to safely try to call or climb back up in my tree stand to call somebody again. I yeah. thought that was a bad idea, especially with it raining really hard. So I just kept on, um, you know, take the bow up, drag the deer to the bow. So keep doing that. this is after you passed out. So you, you drug yeah. to the top, you stood up. You passed out. Like, did you fall, or were you like sitting down and then just kind of blacked out and then came to, or like, walk me through that? I, I fell. I, I actually woke up, um, kind of laying next to the deer, um, and it was kind of a, <laughs> it's just kind of a strange experience to to pass out and wake up by rain pelting you in the face and realize that you know you're still still out here dealing with this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh my God, pass out and make me wake up in a hospital or my bed. <laughs> right, right. All right, so you come to and then you start dragging again. Yeah, I was like, I don't, I don't know what else to do. And at this point, like I was so drained physically and mentally, I don't know if I was in my right mind. <laughs> oh man, I think at this point it probably would have just been a good idea to go ahead and go to the vehicle and go out for help. Yeah. Um, but. I was like, in my delirium, you know, I, I got to keep dragging this thing. So uh, I kept going. I've made it a, a pretty good distance, actually. Um, and then I, I dropped to my knees just in weakness and blacked out again. <laughs> my God. And uh, So this is the second to, time you pass out. Yeah, second time. Um, so I come to, and I'm, I'm dry heaving now, but there's there's nothing left. You know, I haven't eaten any solid food or anything, and I just threw up any water that I had drank. And, um, so I, I'm <laughs> just standing here, kind of like, why, why me? You know, why is why is this happening to me? Yeah. And uh, I was I was so miserable, and so I just decided, you know, I've made it this far, just just keep going. And so I just kept up my rhythm that I had with. You know, taking the bow up, attract the deer to the bow, and pass out. Move my bow, <laughs> drag the deer, was, uh, pass out. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't pass out anymore, thank goodness. And uh, I did get to the vehicle, and I drive an SUV, and I have one of those uh, racks on the back. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness, because if I drove a truck, picking that thing up into the truck wasn't going to happen. It just, yeah. There was nothing left in me. Oh my um, lord. So it actually took me, once I got to the vehicle, I want to say it probably took me about 30 minutes just to lift him up that little bit to get him on the rack. Because at that point, I, I was beyond tired. I was, <laughs> I don't even know what word you would use to describe. I was just in a bad place physically. I had nothing left. My Lord. 
So, <laughs> like, did you ever think about, man, maybe I should just leave the timber, go get help, go back to my car, go get a Gatorade, go get help, and then come back and get the deer instead of basically almost killing yourself to load it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that probably would have been the smart thing to do. Um, but in the back of my mind, I was just so terrified that coyotes would have gotten to yeah. it. My my big fear was that I would have gone through all of this, you know, killed the biggest buck of my life, and then come back to find that coyotes had dragged it off or, or eaten most of it. And um, I, I was just completely set on not letting that happen, even despite <laughs> how yeah. smart that would have been. Yeah, I hear that, man. So... Oh, so, but you made it right. And now the deer is hanging on your wall, right? Yes. I I got it on the rack, uh, strapped him down. I started going home and I was, I was so wet at this point. Um, by the time I got home, I I could actually wring out my socks and my underwear because I'd gotten so wet. But as I'm, as I'm driving out the road, um, I passed this friend of mine that I had called. And so I didn't realize how late it was. By now it's it's ten thirty at night. Yeah. So I've been out there for a long time. And so what had happened was he tried to call me back and when he didn't get a response he called my wife. Um and my wife is used to me being in places that doesn't have cell reception. So she was like, Oh, I'm sure he's he's still out there and he said, No, he, he shot a, a deer, he called me and told me about it. She was like, Well, you know, he'll he'll be home whenever, you know. She's I guess uh gotten her used to my hunting habits which is good um but since they hadn't heard from me in so many hours he got really worried about me and so he was flying out the road to try to come find me (laughs) and so i I actually called him and said hey man i just passed you i'm out of the woods now and so i'll just meet you at my house and so then i called my wife and and told her she's like yeah i already know (laughs) wow so i got to the house and it was kind of funny um she had always told me that you know, she was anti-taxidermy and, you know, she didn't want any deer going on the wall. And when I pulled in, she saw him and she saw just how overjoyed I was. She was like, are you getting him mounted? <laughs> and you said, after what I went, I mean, that, that's one hell of a story that you're going to be able to share with anybody who comes into your house. And, and just like this podcast, you, you know, you shared the story of, about how, the, just to get that buck on your wall, everything that went into it. And I'm not talking about the epic drag job that you did after you shot it. I'm talking about the hours and hours of scouting that went into it to find the right locations to put yourself in to increase your odds. Then after you, you know, you shoot this deer, you drop them like a ton of bricks. The, the, I don't know, like, hopefully that's the only time you ever have to go through something like that. So maybe a <laughs> once-in-a-lifetime drag job that is like, hey, man, that wasn't even the hardest, like, sitting in, doing all the scouting wasn't even hard compared to the drag job that I passed out twice on. Yeah, I hope I hope I never have to go through that again. Um, it's pretty cool. He had, he actually did have a little bit of hair loss on the one side for me dragging him. Yeah. so much and the, the taxidermist asked me if, if i wanted to try to get a different hide to put on and i said no man that's the story i want to be able to tell people what had happened you know how hard i had to work to you know to get to this point and so it, it's 
it's not super obvious, but if you look on the one side, you can actually see where I did drag him. Right, <laughs> right. Well, man, congratulations on on a, just an awesome story. Uh, tons of memories there. Uh, and uh, thanks for coming on, man. I, I really appreciate it, and good luck this upcoming season. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, I've got I've got another good feeling about this year, so we'll see what happens. All right, man. Well, if that success comes to fruition, man, you know who to call. <laughs> you got it. All right, everybody. Hopefully you enjoyed that podcast. Thanks, Josh Edmonds, for hopping on and chatting with us. Thanks to you, the listener, for always uh, tuning in and enjoying these uh you know, these episodes, man, I really appreciate that. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, Ripcord Aero Rest, Wasp Broadheads, Ozonic Scent Elimination, Prime Archery, Prime Bows, and uh, of course, again, Vortex Optics, man. Um, thank you. You know, not too much to say to end this one. Like I said, if you're not subscribed to this podcast, please subscribe either to the Nine Finger Chronicle standalone feed. All you have to do is go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and just search Nine Finger Chronicles. It will pop up or go to uh, or search Sportsman's Nation. And it's not it's it's S-P-O-R-T-S-M-E. NS Sportsmen's Nation and uh, man that's where you're going to get everything right the the whitetail season is coming man I'm already seeing pictures out west of guys shooting antelopes there's guys bear hunting um, elk season is just around the corner in many states and uh, I'm going to be heading west out here in a couple weeks so I got to get my butt in gear and you know shoot my bow as much as possible train as much as possible get my gear organized and make my family happy uh, at the same time which can be tough um get those brownie points now and i think that's it guys uh be sure to subscribe to the youtube channel as well and you know if you're gonna be in a tree please wear your damn safety harness